If you have your Bible, turn with me. Or let me say this. You may be seated. This is our Sunday morning. I'll, I'll get to the text in just a minute, but let me kind of give an idea of where we are. We are in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. We're in an expository study through the book of Romans. We've been doing this for over a year. This is our 47th lesson in the book of Romans. And you say, well, Brother McCullough, 52 Sundays a year. That doesn't add up. Well, I don't teach it on Easter, and I don't teach it on Mother's Day, and I don't teach it on Father's Day. And when we have special holiday services and when we have special guest speakers, I really get in about 36 Sundays a year that I teach out of the book of Romans. So 47 puts us in well into the second year. Amen. So that's where we are right now is in the, the, the second year of this, this text. I hope that uh, by the grace of God we might get done in a two-year span. But you know what? I'm not rushing him and he's not rushing me. And I'm kind of enjoying myself. And I got a feeling the Holy Ghost is really working in the church. And, and we're just going to keep right on keeping on. Amen. So we're in chapter 8, and this is where Paul ties it all together. And he introduces us here to the opposing concepts of life in the Spirit and life in the flesh. The main thrust of Romans chapter 8 is that we can only overcome sin and live a holy, sanctified life by walking after the Spirit not after the flesh. That's the contrast. That's what we're called to do. Theologically speaking, Romans chapter 8 is the heart of the book of Romans. This is what we've been building to. This is what we've been coming towards all the way from the very first verse. This is the, this is the, 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 the concept that Paul has been driving Four, and this is uh, the, probably the most important chapter that we're going to talk about in the book of Romans is chapter 8. And so uh, I'm taking it slowly. I'm giving a lot of attention to the concepts that are presented here. We've been moving at the pace of just a verse or two a week through the book of, uh, through chapter 8. And I, I'm going to continue that this morning. We are going to be picking up with verses 7 and 8 this morning. But before I get there... Let me talk about what we've learned so far in Romans chapter 8. If you've got your Bible and you want to look at Romans chapter 8, I'm going to kind of give a synopsis of the first uh, six verses. And what, what we found out, first of all, in Romans 8 and 1, is that there is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. That's a good thing. Amen. I don't have any guilt. I don't have any shame. The sin that I've committed, the past wrongs that have been held over my head, they no longer have any authority over me. I don't have to stand in the presence of God and feel guilty. Amen. There is no condemnation if they walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's no condemnation because they're walking after the Spirit, not after the flesh. There's the contrast. That sets up the whole chapter. And what Paul told us then is that the Spirit brings life, but the flesh brings death. Amen. You don't want to be in death. That's where you were before you came to Christ. That's where you were before salvation. That's where you were before he reached down and saved you. So in verse 3, Paul explained that what the law could not do because of the flesh, God did in the flesh. 
so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And that, that little line in verse 3 is really the heart of the reason why God saved you. He saved you so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in you. In other words, God did not come in the flesh to completely invalidate the righteous concepts that were in the law. He came in the flesh so that the righteous concepts of the law might be fulfilled in us. Amen. That's why he came. He came so that we could fulfill that which we could not fulfill in our flesh. If we walk after the flesh, we're still not going to be able to fulfill it. But if we walk after the Spirit, it's another story. He came so that we could walk into the Spirit and so that the righteousness of the law could be fulfilled in us. That the last passage that we covered was verses 5 and 6. And verses 5 and 6 emphasize the contrast between flesh and spirit. Those who walk after the flesh, they mind the things of the flesh. But those who walked after the spirit... They mind the things of the Spirit. You can tell the difference between them because of their actions. You can tell the difference between those who walk after the flesh and those who walk after the Spirit by the things that they consider to be important in their lives, what they mind in their lives, what they pursue in their lives. Uh, the way you live your life is the key evidence of whether you walk after the flesh or after the Spirit. If you walk after the flesh, your life is characterized by different types of actions and pursuits uh, and things than your life is characterized by if you walk after the Spirit. There is a difference, and the difference shows up in the things that you consider to be a priority in your life. Amen? Finally, in verse 6, Paul said again, that the carnal mind is death, but the spiritual mind is life and peace. Now that's the same peace that I talked about last Sunday morning on Easter Sunday. It's not a peace from life's troubles. Uh, it's not a peace from the storms and chaos and tragedy that happens in life, but rather it is a peace with God. Uh, amen. It's a peace that passes understanding. Amen. It's a peace that I can have in the middle of chaos. It's a peace that I can have in the middle of storms and trouble and trials. It's a peace that exists in my heart, a right relationship between me and God, regardless of the circumstances of my life. Amen? That brings us then to verses 7 and 8. And these verses explain why the carnal mind is death. Here we will discover that the flesh is unavoidably hostile towards God and His purpose for our life. Our flesh will refuse to exist in harmony with the plan and the purpose of God for our lives. You are fooling yourself. If you think that you can entertain the things of the flesh and pursue the things of God at the same time. That's like saying I'm going to go east and I'm going to go west 
at the same time. The two are in direct conflict with one another. You can't go east and travel west. There is no westerly direction in which you can travel in an easterly route. You can't do it. Huh? You've got to walk after the Spirit of God, not after the flesh, because without the influence of the Holy Ghost in your life, uh, you can only direct your life in a way that leads you away from God. Without the influence of the Spirit of God in your life, you'll only direct your life in a way that leads you to a path that is hostile against God. You must walk after the Spirit to live a life that is pleasing to God. It is the only way. Because your flesh, and this is what this passage is going to show us this morning, your flesh cannot produce a life that's pleasing to God. Verses 7 and 8, it says this, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. First of all, the carnal mind is enmity against God. Now, the word enmity is a really good translation of the, the Greek word that, that is being used there. It's not a common word for us. Most of you may, if you're not a Bible student or you haven't read it before, you probably don't have any idea what enmity means. But it means the same thing as the Greek word that was used in the original language. Enmity is an extreme form of hostility. It literally refers to the deep-rooted hatred that exists between enemies. It is the emotion that fuels uh, an intractable conflict, that unsolvable conflict that, that, that cannot be conquered no matter what. A good example of enmity in the real world would be the conflict that exists between the nation of Israel and the Palestinian people. There is a deep-rooted hatred that drives that conflict. And there is no way that any political solution will ever bring peace because the problem isn't the political pieces. The problem isn't subsidies. The problem isn't commerce. The problem isn't something that you can put your finger on in a tangible, real-world way and fix the problem is a deep-seated hatred that exists between the seed of Isaac and the seed of Ishmael. There's a problem there that goes back for generations and generations and generations. There's no way a political answer is ever going to bring peace to that. Forgive me, my voice is trying just to roll over and die on me this morning. Amen. There's just no way that, uh, uh, that's why the Bible said when they cry peace, peace, get ready. Amen. Because trouble's coming. There's no way peace is ever coming to that conflict. There's no way peace is ever going to, they cannot, they will not live in harmony with each other. 
because their heritage compels them to harbor in their heart hostility towards one another. They've heard the story from the various earliest stages in their life. Uh, their mama told them uh, how bad them other people were and they've been telling them how bad them other people were for generation after generation after generation is the narrative of, a, of the history of a people and there is no resolution for it. That's enmity. It's a state of conflict. It's a state of hostility. It's a state of war. And when Paul uses that word, what he's saying is there's a state of conflict between the flesh and the spirit. There's enmity between the carnal mind uh, and the mind of God. Uh, amen. They are enemies. Uh, they cannot exist uh, in a state of peace. Uh, there is no harmony between them. That's why two can't walk together in agreement and fellowship. Uh, amen. That's why the flesh and the spirit can't be joined together and travel the same direction uh, because there, there's an absolute uh, uh, there's an absolute hatred there's an absolute state of war between them if you'll remember verse 6 ended by saying that the spiritual mind is life and peace that peace that passes all understanding enmity is the opposite of peace. The carnal mind is death and war. If the spiritual mind is life and peace, the carnal mind is death and war. It is, it is, it is against God. The spiritual mind is at peace with God. The spiritual mind has that, that confidence of knowing I'm right with God. Uh, but the carnal mind uh, is at war with God. Uh, it's constantly in conflict with God. Uh, it's constantly opposing God. Whenever the spiritual mind is exposed uh, to the presence of God, uh, it finds sweet release, uh, that peace of knowing I'm right with God. Uh, but the carnal mind uh, feels guilt. Uh, it feels shame. It feels terror. Amen. The Shekinah glory of God was the most absolute manifestation of the glory of God. But that word means terror. Because to those that were not in covenant with God, the manifestation of the glory of God causes terror. It causes fear. It causes them to... to to tremble and to shake. That's what it means to be at enmity with God. The two don't exist together. The carnal mind relishes earthly and sinful things. It lives in opposition to the pure and holy law of God. It is the enemy of God. God. It cannot abide the things of God. It cannot have anything to do with the presence of God. It doesn't want to be in submission to God at all. The carnal mind is constantly working against the things of God. When I pray, sometimes you'll hear me plead the blood of Jesus. And when I plead the blood of Jesus, I like to say that blood works against everything that works against me. Amen. The blood of of Jesus uh, is my redemption. Uh, amen. The blood of Jesus uh, heals my body. Uh, the blood of Jesus uh, covers my sins. Uh, everything that works against me, that blood works against it. 
Well, the mind, the carnal mind, the fleshly mind uh, works against everything that God wants to do for me. Everything that God plans for me. Every good purpose that God has for my life. Every good blessing that God is trying to move me towards. uh, Every good thing that God is trying to work in my life. The carnal mind uh, is constantly working against every good thing that God is trying to do for me me it's constantly pushing me away it's constantly driving me away it's constantly putting obstacles between me and God in my heart I want to get right with God in my heart I want to have a relationship with God in my heart I want to know God but my flesh is constantly putting uh, stumbling blocks in my way constantly coming up with excuses why I can't constantly coming up with reasons to hinder me to slow me down to stop me from ever really knowing God and ever really knowing that peace with God. The whole point of our salvation, I said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, is that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, but the carnal mind cannot stand the righteousness of the law. In fact, it is constantly working to undermine that righteousness. Whatever the law says is good, the flesh seeks the opposite of it. Amen. Whatever the law says is righteous, uh, the flesh says that's dull, that's boring, that's that's no fun, that's no good. Uh, I, I want to do just the opposite of that. Amen. That, that it, The appeal, the draw, the enticement, the attraction uh, is to something that is the opposite of what the law says says I should do the carnal mind is constantly working to undermine the work of righteousness in our life whatever whatever the law says the flesh says I'm going to go after the opposite whatever the righteousness of God declares for our lives the flesh desires the very opposite for our lives the entire mindset of the flesh is directed against the things of God the flesh doesn't want you to pray It'll make every excuse possible. The mind of your flesh does not want to submit itself to the mind of God in prayer. You know, prayer is a place where you have to humble yourself. Prayer is a place where you have to submit yourself. Your flesh doesn't want to do that. Hey, amen. You, 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 you can drag yourself out of bed. You can make yourself come to a place in prayer. But your mind is constantly trying to wander off somewhere else. Trying to take, I know it's prayer time, but I'm going to write down the grocery list real fast. That's the way your mind works. It doesn't want to be submitted to the presence of God, the will of God, the power of God. The mind of the flesh is convinced that the Bible is just an old book full of old stories that you've heard a million times. Why do you need to read the Bible? Why do you really, you know, preacher's going to talk about it. Hey, I'll learn everything I need to know about it in church. That's the way you, the mind of the flesh thinks. The mind of your flesh will convince you that church attendance is an inconvenience. There's always a reason why you can't come to church. Can I get an amen? Come on, there's always other more important things. There's always obstacles. There's always something else you need to do with your tether. You're always too tired to go to church. Even a preacher feels that way sometimes. We all work hard. 
Amen. We all have our struggles. We all have those Wednesdays where we really want to prop our feet up on the couch and forget the world exists. Amen. The flesh will constantly try to convince you that there's no need to make the effort to go to church. It's just too big of an inconvenience. It's just too much uh, of a struggle. Uh, your flesh doesn't want you to be at church. It doesn't want you to hear the preached word of God. It doesn't want you to have the fellowship of the people of God. It doesn't want you to be exposed uh, to that, what happens at the church uh, that can't happen anywhere else. Your flesh will say, oh, but you can bring a bargain with you. You can pray in the morning. You can read your Bible tomorrow. You can even fast tomorrow. But, and, and all of that's good. Uh, but you're not going to get out of your prayer time and out of your Bible reading time uh, and out of your fasting uh, what you're going to get out of your communion with the people of God, uh, in the presence of God, in the house of God. You get something here you can't get anywhere else. And your flesh knows that. And so it's constantly putting obstacles there. It's constantly trying to stop you from getting where you need to be. It'll try to convince you fasting. That's just an archaic old thing the old timers used to do. It isn't required anymore. Why fast? Nobody fasts. Well, it, it's just a starvation diet. It's just a quick way to lose weight. It's really not of any benefit. It's just an old-fashioned thing. Uh, amen. Your flesh will try to tell you because it doesn't. You gotta. You gotta. I'll tell you what fasting does. You wanna know what fasting does? It crucifies the flesh. That's what it does. You know, I, I never have offered an offering on an altar or sacrifice. I've never taken a lamb or a bull or ram. But I got to imagine they didn't go easy. I got to imagine that lamb never wants to be laid on that altar. I've got to imagine that bull will fight. That, that ram is going to put up a fuss. I know that that turkey sure put up a fuss yesterday. And we didn't even have an altar. Amen. Your flesh is the same way. It don't want to crawl on an altar. It doesn't want to submit. It doesn't want to surrender. It doesn't want to let go of its control. It doesn't want to yield. And so it'll fight that with everything that it has. It'll start trying to convince you you don't need to do that. With those kinds of arguments, your flesh reveals its true motive. It's constantly working to undermine what God wants to do in your life. The very fact that your flesh doesn't want to make the time to pray should be all the evidence that you need to say, Pastor, you know what? I'm going to go home and I'm going to set up a prayer time. And I'm going to be faithful to it. And I'm going to seek the face of God. Because if the flesh despises it, if the flesh hates it, if the flesh is trying to get that means my spirit needs it. Amen. That means my, my, the spiritual man has to have it. If my flesh is so much against it, that means it's something that I need for my spirit. And so I'm going to, I'm going to set it up. I'm going to make a time. I'm going to set aside a place. I'm going to seek the presence. God, the same could be said about Bible reading. The same could be said about fasting. Uh, if your flesh doesn't want to do it, uh, amen. I always say the same thing about foot washing. Sometimes when we do communion service, we do foot washing, and, and people say, Oh man, now if you're doing foot washing, I'm staying home. Uh, amen. The very reason that you don't want to do it is the very reason why you need to do it. That's the truth. It's uncomfortable, it makes you submit yourself. 
It makes you humble yourself as a servant to somebody else. That's not fun. Your flesh doesn't like that. Neither does my flesh. That's why I need it. Because my flesh is taking me somewhere I don't want to go. If I submit to my flesh, if I yield to my flesh, if I let my flesh have the rule after over me, it's going to take me away from the presence of God. It's going to take me away from the blessings of God. It's going to take me away from all the things that God wants to do in my life because my, my flesh is enmity against God. Likewise, that the very moment that your flesh starts establishing a rational argument for why you can't go to church on church night ought to be the very moment that you make up your mind, my spirit needs to be in church tonight. If my flesh is going to fight me that much, that means my spirit needs it that much. What, am I, what are you trying to say, Pastor? This is all I'm trying to say. Your flesh is never looking out for your spiritual good. Your flesh is never looking out for what's good for you. Your flesh is never trying to get you closer to God. The flesh is committed to everything that is against God. It'll tell you that modesty is an outdated concept. It'll tell you that holiness is just a set of man-made rules, and it doesn't really matter how you live your life as long as you just believe in God. It'll try to convince you that somehow the blood of Jesus has made it okay for you to continue to live any way you want to live, that sin is now acceptable to God, that God understands that you're just a frail human being anyway, and you don't have the, any choice in the matter. You don't have the strength. Uh, the compulsion of sin is, is, is so much stronger than your power and your will, and, and you can't overcome it, and God understands that. When you start rationalizing sin... In your life, it's time to wake up and realize your flesh has taken over. You need to wake up and recognize you're not listening to the mind of God. You're not listening to the mind of the Spirit, but rather you're following after the mind of the flesh. And the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's at war with God. It's got, it's got hatred against God, hostility against God. Its actions oppose whatever God wants for you. It's always going to have an excuse. And, and I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, I hear a lot of excuses. Some of them are really good excuses. Your flesh is good at coming up with good excuses. That's the truth of the matter. Sometimes pastor can say, well, that's flimsy. You need to be at church. And sometimes pastor has to be respectful and say, well, that, you know, that's a really good excuse. The bottom line of it is, if it'll keep you out of the presence of God, your, your flesh will come up with it over and 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 over again. It'll give you the stomach virus six times in six weeks, just on Wednesday. Amen? I'm still in the book, just being pastor. Amen? Let me say this. Your mind is a fascinating thing. It has the unique capacity... To deceive itself. That's the truth. Solomon said that the way of a man seems good to the man. No matter whether it is or not, it has the unique ability to put a friendly face on a foul matter. It has the unique ability to convince itself that it is right when it is wrong. The carnal mind has the capacity to convince itself 
that it is not the enemy of God. The carnal mind has the capacity to convince itself that it's trying to please God. That's why good folks who have a desire to serve God can be caught in the snare of the carnal mind. They can become convinced that they can live after the flesh and still live a life that's pleasing to God. Untold multitudes of people have been deceived in that way. They, they've been convinced that while following after the mind of the flesh, that they're actually pursuing the mind of the Spirit. Because the mind can fool itself. Having said that, then it is important to ask this question, how do you know that you're following after the mind of the Spirit rather than after the mind of the flesh? How do you know that you're living after the Spirit rather than living after the flesh? Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 20 that you are known by the fruit that your life produces. You can measure the true condition of your walk with God by the fruit that you're producing in your life. A good tree, Jesus said, produces good fruit, while a bad tree produces bad fruit. The whole reason that we're filled with the Spirit of God is so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Sometimes uh, you need to examine your life uh, against the righteousness uh, of the law. Sometimes you need to measure yourself, uh, amen, not against what I think is good. You know, so many people have got their own opinion about what they think is good, uh, about what they think is pleasing to God, about what they think is holy to God, about how they think you ought to serve God. When you stand before him in heaven, he's not going to say, okay, tell me what you think you should have been doing. He's going to open up this book. And he's going to say, tell me if you've been living by the righteousness of the law. Tell me if you've been living by the word of God. You've got to measure yourself uh, and the fruit that your life produces uh, against the word of God. Amen? The fruit that your life produces is the ultimate evidence of whether you're walking after the flesh or after the spirit. Because the mind of the flesh. It can conceal itself. In a religious mind. In a religious mindset. It, it can conceal itself. In, in the idea that I'm, I'm doing good by my bad. I'm doing good by. that. There's good things. You ever heard the old conundrum. There, there's good coming out of my lie. Amen. You, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you need to stop and recognize if I've got to rationalize it, there's a problem with it. If I've got to think it through that far to decide, well, I can do this even though I know it's wrong because something good's going to come out of it, that means I don't trust God to bring something good uh, without me doing something wrong. Amen? If you've got to cheat to get ahead, you're saying to God, I don't trust you can get me ahead unless I cheat. That's the truth. Amen? And so the Word of God becomes the ultimate measuring stick. It becomes a way that you, you evaluate your life. If you walk out to the flesh, uh, you're going to produce the actions of the flesh which are contrary to the righteousness of the law. If you walk out to the Spirit, you're going to produce the works of the Spirit. We all on the same page? Good. Now let me go a step further. 
Because the flesh is so deceptive that it has the capacity to tolerate good works that were produced in a wrong spirit or with wrong motives. That's what hypocrisy is. Yeah, hypocrite, that's one of the most deceptive works of the flesh. I wish I could tell you it wasn't so, but wolves sometimes wear sheep's clothing. That's the truth. Here's the thing, though. The flesh may conceal itself behind a facade of good works, but the flesh is not capable of not producing bad works. The flesh is not capable of not producing sinful works at well. As well, hypocrisy is always a sham. It's always a facade. It's a life that produces a smokescreen of good works, but also produces a variety of less public, less known, less uh, uh, obvious but no less sinful, sinful acts, the acts of the flesh. If you're struggling with a sin problem in your life, but you find that in every other area related to outward holiness and outward righteousness that you're producing good fruit, but in other areas of your life you're struggling morally, you're struggling with sin that you're hiding, that you're concealing, that tells me something. Your good works, that's all. God, all the goodness that you're doing, not to invalidate any of that, but it's a mind of the flesh that's in control when there's sin that is in evidence, continual, habitual, repetitive sin in your life. Amen? If you're going to overcome that, you've got to get back to the fundamentals. The most effective means of bringing the flesh under submission to the Spirit is through personal devotion to God, through prayer through fasting, through Bible reading, through church attendance. Amen? Somebody said, well, Brother McCall, I don't have any sin. And I don't mean to, I'm not going to push this too far, but, but you can have wrong attitudes and it be sin. You can, it can be all in your heart and it be sin. You can, you can put on the best of fronts. And behind that facade, harbor bitterness and hatred and harbor all kinds of resentment or self-righteousness and be just as lost as the worst sinner there is in the world. Be just as far away from God. Well, Brother McCall, what do you... Oh, I'm telling you what I'm telling you. You can't trust your flesh. It will never produce good work. Well, I'm doing a good job living for God, and I don't have a prayer life. You need to measure yourself again. I'm doing a good job. I, I, I've got all the works. I know everything. i got it all lined out. I, I'm Pentecostal through and through. i got this holiest thing solved. Uh, but I'm not praying, and I'm not fasting, and I'm not reading my Bible, and I'm not in genuine submission to the Holy Ghost. My flesh is in control. And there may be some good works you can point to, but ultimately that life produces the bad works of the flesh because it doesn't have any other choice. The flesh cannot walk in harmony with the will of God for your life. It cannot get you closer to God. 
It's prayer and fasting, the hidden things. Bible, that's what's missing in the life of a hypocrite. They get all the, the public things right. They, they sin in secret, even if it's just in their heart. It's the devotion. It's the hidden things that nobody can measure, nobody can see. That's where they miss God. But can I tell you something? The key to walking after the Spirit is never in the public things. It's always in the hidden things. It's in your prayer life where you submit yourself to God. It's in reading. The, the Bible said, Paul said that he washes me with the cleansing of the water of the word. It's the Bible that washes me. Brother McCall, why do I need to read the Word? And let me tell you why you need to read the Word of God. Because the Word of God convicts you. The Word of God washes you. That's what the Scripture says. It cleanses you. It washes away the filthiness of the flesh, ungodliness, the thoughts. And that you can't walk in this world and not have these things come on you. That you get hurt and you got the root of bitterness. You get somebody does you wrong and you want to get vengeance. Somebody has offended you and you want to offend them back. There's there's a lust and a temptation that entices you and all these things uh, they get in your life and they're trying to clutter up your walk with God but it's in the reading of the word of God that the word begins to wash you and to cleanse you you need that without it you'll drift away from him without it there'll be a great gulf of separation between you and God because the flesh cannot please God the second half of the verse tells us why. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Ultimately, the flesh cannot submit itself to the law of God. What is interesting about this is we're, we're talking again. We find ourselves again discussing the validity of the law. Again, we're talking about the righteousness of the law. A lot of people tell you the first three, four chapters of Romans all about doing away with the law. You know, the law is no longer relevant. It no longer matters. But here we are eight chapters into the book of Romans, and we're still talking about the righteousness of the law. We're still talking about the goodness. We're still talking about the fact that the, the, the moral principles of the law still matter in our life. We're, we find ourselves saying the moral principles of God, I've got to be measured by them. The law was never a bad thing. God cannot be separated from his moral code. That's what we learned back in uh, chapter 6, I think it was. God cannot be separated from his law. It was the expression of his righteousness. If it's bad, God's bad. God's good. And what was morally wrong to him before you came to the cross is still morally wrong to him today. And if you reject the moral principles of the law of God, then by necessity, you have to reject God. Amen? That's why the state of being at peace with God or being at war with God is determined by our attitude towards the moral code of God, the law. The flesh can, can do some good works, but it can't 
submit to the law. And ultimately, the choice between the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit is the choice between submitting to God's law or not. It's who I let be the master in my life. The flesh cannot submit to the law of God. It cannot be governed by the law of God. It, it cannot. It's not that it, it may not. It's not that it's a possibility that it won't. The flesh cannot be subject to the law of God. That's the point of the final phrase of the verse. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It can't. It, it cannot submit itself. It's not just that it will not. It's that it, it cannot submit itself to the law of God. Now that word submit means to surrender oneself to the authority of someone or something else. To submit to the law of God means that I acknowledge its authority. It means that I make a conscious effort to submit myself, to obey it, to recognize it has the authority in my life. Uh, amen. There's some things I would do that I don't do because they offend the moral code of God. There are some things that maybe my flesh is attracted to do, but I won't participate in because they offend the moral code of God. That's submitting myself. That's submitting my flesh. That's bringing this old man to an altar and saying, I want to live in submission to the word and the will of God. That's what the mind of the flesh cannot do. That's why the mind of the flesh leads to death and war with God. But the mind of the Spirit leads to life and peace with God. That's why the life of the Spirit matters. At the risk of sounding like a broken record this morning, that's why your prayer life matters. That's why fasting matters. That's why Bible reading matters. That's why church attendance matters. That's why all those things are so important because how you nurture the mind of the Spirit how you nurture your relationship with God is through those things, through prayer, through Bible reading, through fasting. And that's also how you starve the mind of the flesh. That's how you break its hold and its dominion over your life. That's why the flesh is so opposed to those things because they diminish your flesh's control over you. Now, the second verse, verse 8, is very quick. I know we're, we're, I've been long and we're running out of time, but if you'll give me just a minute, it won't take me long to wrap this up. Verse 8 says this, So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that are in the flesh. This is the same as saying as they that walk according to the flesh, they that live according to the flesh, they that mind the things of the flesh, they cannot please God. You cannot please God and diminish spiritual things in your life in order to exalt carnal things in your life. You can't please God that way. Amen. You, you, your flesh will never be the servant to God. It will always strive to be the master. And if you follow after the flesh, God will not share his kingdom with another. Either he's Lord of all or he's Lord of nothing. Amen. Now the subject of verse 8 is pleasing God. 
And we see here what doesn't please God. Those who are in the flesh, they can't be subject to the law of God, and they cannot please God. What pleases God then is submission to the law of God. That's what pleases God. The flesh can't do it, therefore it can't please God. But I want to please God, so I have to do it. The flesh may not be able to surrender itself to the authority of God, but I can. I can bring my, my heart to an altar and the spiritual man. Amen. If I humble myself before God and if I, if I turn myself to the authority of God, we, we, we pursue the things of the Spirit in our lives and, and pursuing the things of the Spirit, we follow after Him. Pleasing God is the highest calling of a Christian. Pleasing God. Another way that you, you determine the spiritual condition of your life is by asking yourself, who are you trying to please? Are you trying to please yourself? Or are you trying to please God? That's the real question this morning. If it seems good to God, then I want it to seem good to me. And if it seems bad to God then I have to realize it's bad for me. And if I think any other way, I'm thinking with the flesh instead of with the spirit. Amen. That, that means I had to pattern my life after that which is pleasing unto God. I've got to, how do you know what's pleasing to God? The preacher tells you, right? You need to, yes, the preacher's going to tell you. But you need to get in the word of God. A lot of people got a question, Pastor, I need an answer to this question, but I haven't asked God at all. I can't tell you how many times I've opened this book and found answers to questions that I had for my life. Oh, but now that was written hundreds of thousands of years ago. You, don't, you wouldn't believe how relevant it is to where you are right now until you start reading it. Would you stand with me? Brother Ryan, would you come to the music? Those that please God are those that submit themselves to the word of God. They submit themselves to the will of God. They submit themselves to the law of God. They, they gauge the things they do in this life against what God finds to be pleasing. And, and if it seems like it might not be good to God, then, then they don't want to do it. If, it. if it seems like it might not please God or if the Spirit feels uncomfortable with it, then they don't want to have anything to do with it. They endeavor to live their lives in constant submission to the Word and the will of God. They want to hear these words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what they're living for. Now, we spent a lot of time this morning describing the contrast between those who walk after the flesh and those who walk after the Spirit. And it's a subject that we will continue to discuss in the coming weeks. But as I close this morning, I want to cut straight to the heart of the matter. One cannot walk after the flesh and walk after the Spirit at the same time.